Jason Ward's with roughly 10 years ago. She's still alive. She didn't work. No, no, that's true. There's a number of them that didn't really work. No. Eventually forced into retirement, but... She had one job. Yeah? It was supposed to be to update the patient ward, you know, on a med surge ward, but in reality, which she was really good at, we would find these on weekends... Because she worked, uh, you know, Monday through Friday. Of course. But she was really good at hiding snacks. That's gross, because it's a hospital. Yeah. And on weekends, we would open up a drawer to, oh, we need scissors or, you know, just extra pens or whatever. And there'd be a half-eaten Snickers or, you know, who knows what all. But we would find it. God, those were the days. The, the, the days of a bunch of youthful commissioned and non-commissioned officers running around a major medical center in an amazing city in the United States, just having random schedules off Monday through Wednesday. Just just good times. Not Wanda. I don't, I don't re- remember her fondly. but Do you remember her at all? I do. Enough. That beautiful atonal voice. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Well, mm. all right. So we've talked too, too, too many minutes um, about this uh, this time in our life. But as always, from wherever you're tuning in, uh, in this uh, blue dot of ours, humming away through the galaxy. Um, thank you, as always. It's uh, an honor and privilege, and what brings us back week over week to continue to have conversation. Um, as always, if you like what you hear here, please head over to modstate.com for more opinion pieces. And I think we've got a pretty good show for you tonight. Why don't we just, um, you know, let's just tee things up. Let's start with the bizarre, just because it's not that the educational piece is dry, but I feel like we need to pick me up. So uh, let's see. A so pick me up. A pick me up. Um, I mean, I think there's probably a number of bizarre things that have happened um, since the last time we talked. However, the one that I felt was the most worthy is that researchers are cautiously optimistic that they found a new whale species off of Mexico. So apparently there's like 23 species of beaked whales. I couldn't tell you, I couldn't name you one beaked whale. Um, and that's kind of sad. Given... What do you mean, like a, a bird beak? No, I think because oh I got a beak. Listen, I, I find this actually pretty disappointing that I don't know this as I was a huge nature nut as a little kid. Um, but apparently, if confirmed, this would be the 24th species of, uh, of beaked whales. So I guess they are way about the same amount as a Clydesdale horse. And I think probably what I find the most interesting about this is the fact that often it's brought to our 
attention in some format or another that uh, you know we know more about space than we do the depths of our oceans and it's it's kind of crazy and i think this biologist brings up a really interesting point he said that you know imagine something that big in the terrestrial realm going undiscovered but there's a lot of mysteries in the sea and That's i think true. <laughs> and i think this obviously hammers that home right like <clears throat> it's one thing to find like a little new shrimp or something i mean i'm 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 not actually going to discount the the difficulty that that would take to accomplish that but you know it's a small thing it makes sense that that uh you know you don't uh, it's new right but but something like a, a whale i think that's even if it's as a little bigger than a porpoise or a dolphin is still fairly impressive and pretty cool yeah it's it's far easier to discover a, a beaked whale is very different from a beached whale mm. so i mean that yes. was kind of obvious wow but well no i I, I actually meant that. I mean, that's that's a little different. I mean, unfortunately, and that's not me discounting what's going on. I mean, obviously, any any extinction of species is harmful to the overall ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So, I I I grasp that. Yeah, so, pretty cool. And I, I think it's pretty cool the way they found not them. extinction, yeah, the discovery no, no, of a new exactly. species. Um, it, it seems like they were in a fairly well known. The although remote area um, on island off of Mexico, and these this new species actually just showed up right at their boat, and I think that was uh, as as mentioned in the article, which I'll, I'll link. Said it was very serendipitous in the way that it happened. You know, it wasn't like they've they... never seen this before. What's that? This species just yeah. emerged. Well, We've never seen it before. It shows that... up at somebody's boat. Yeah, I mean, it, it's probably likely that they were have just been confused with a similar type of beaked whale but this one specifically has different uh um audio uh, like communication clicks that whales have and i think a few other just subtle differences um but if you weren't researching that or looking for that or knew anything about beaked whales other than just it's a whale or, or a dolphin looking thing you would a have whale no, with a beak yeah you would have and i think i, I don't i think if you're thinking about like a beak, it certainly isn't quite like that. I'm sure there's some biologists listening to this screen. Well, so it's not like a falcon's beak or something. No, no, no. It's not like it's not like a traditional eagle beak or something like you that. I'm sure it's probably more along the lines of like the way the bone structure is. But um, anyway, I don't know. Which, let me, let me... which would you rather do? Would you rather be twenty thousand leagues under the sea? Or would you rather be one of those folks that gets approved that has volunteered to go on the one-way trip to Mars? I'm sorry, what was the first option? 20,000 leagues under the sea. Like, all the way down, you're going down there where God only knows what's down there at the ocean floor. Hmm. Who knows if you're going to come back or not. Seems safer on this planet, but if you know anything about the depths of the ocean, which you do, dangerous. Or... Would you rather be a part of the one-way voyage to Mars? Well, the one-way voyage to Mars <clears throat> insinuates that there still could continue to be life on Mars. You just wouldn't come back to Earth, and I think that would be quite interesting. No, I mean like the colony. Yeah, I, I could. It's not coming back. It's I, one way. Yeah, I could be down with that. All right. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> All right. So beaked whales are actually pretty. Um, they're pretty common. Um, 
Yeah, yeah there's a shit ton. Yeah, they there's are. a shit ton of them. Uh, so the their key distinguishing feature is the presence of a beak, somewhat sub- similar to that of dolphins. So it's more just the structure of it. That is that it's yeah. The schnoz is just a little different. So, mm. all right. Um. So let's move on to the educational piece, and I'm going to give you the floor a little bit on this because uh, we had some feedback that I thought, um was was really good feedback and that is hey listen um we do have quite a, a handful of international listeners and there's arguably a, a very consequential election happening in georgia um, very soon actually and it actually could uh, decide the fate of the senate in terms of the power balance in the senate now we can debate the merits of what that likelihood actually is but i think what certainly would be good to elucidate upon is okay how is it that this election is happening months after all the other elections that happened in november what is it what is the runoff that has happened here and um, and maybe what what that means before joe biden ultimately uh hopefully makes it to the white house so to tee it up there are two Senate races, so U.S. Senate, federal Senate races in Georgia that are happening. And however it plays out could determine whether or not the Democrats take control of the Senate in in D.C. or the Republicans maintain control. The significance of that is if if it goes to Democratic control, then the House, the Senate, and the executive branch would be fully in Democrat control and would be much easier to pass certain uh, bills, et cetera. Joe Manchin becomes the most important person in Congress. So, um, and, and then opposite there would be, it'd be kind of a, uh, a dud Joe Biden presidency with Mitch McConnell, the gatekeeper um, and the uh, decided Lord over what gets voted on. In the Senate, so, so I guess let's we can back up now and say, well, what the heck's going on? Why is there an election in January? Why wasn't someone right. decided in November? All right, absolutely. Um, long story short, it's other countries. I mean, we can't fathom this, but they have thirteen, fourteen, fifteen parties that actually have a chance of perhaps winning at least a handful of seats in whatever parliament. But here in a lot of states, and in terms of why it's happening in January, it is actually up to the state as to when the election's held. I believe they are required to hold it before Congress reconvenes. But the way this works is if a candidate, the winning candidate, quote, only has a plurality, well, in most of the U.S. states, if they only have a plurality, they don't have 50.1% of the vote or more, then those two candidates, the top two candidates, must go to what's called a runoff. Mm -hmm. So just to back up, so what you're saying is if any of the candidates do not secure 50.1% of the vote, then the top two candidates will then go to what you call the runoff. Correct. Sorry, I probably yeah. explained that poorly. But no, no I just, uh, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm playing it back so that I understand it, and that is what's happened in Georgia. 
and why there's a January um, election. Exactly. And so you've got these, <laughs> you've got one, well, you got, of course, they're both in, in, in Georgia. So obviously, Georgia's on our mind. Um, one of these two races, you have a, a debate where, I mean, you can't even really summarize it, but one, one candidate's raving at the other about being a socialist. The other's raving at that one about being a, a basically a lackey for Trump. And then the other race in Georgia, they don't debate at all. <laughs> yep. The Republican is uh, symbolically inserted into the, into the uh, debate. That, I'm not sure whether that was good play by Ossoff or not. I don't know. No, that was a good play. It was a good play. Well, I, I figured you would say that, but I, I mean, in terms of just optics, I don't, I don't know. Well, Whatever. So the point is that both of these races, these runoffs are happening in Georgia. And as I alluded to earlier, um, let's say the Democrats win both of those races. Well, what makes that rather interesting is you've got from West Virginia, one of the only true, uh, well, proclaimed centrist uh, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin saying, and he appeared on Fox News to say this, which was eh, definitely schmaltzy, but got on there to say, well, 50-50, um, fine, but 50-50 uh, minus one is not a majority. I'm very good, Joe. Very, very good math there. But his point was, he's not in favor of court packing or the Green New Deal, uh, which he'd better say that if he wants to stay in office in West Virginia. So it, the dynamic is not so simple as, oh, well, it's 50-48 with two independents caucusing with the Democrats and Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote. It's, it's not going to be that clean and simple, which, of course, it couldn't be. Of course. Well, I think that's a really good explanation of what's going on. And then I think... I hope. I, I think... The other dynamic here, of course, uh, as everyone's probably wondering, is what um, is there a chance, and is uh, are, w is should there be some concern that those um, should there be some concern that hey, look, the Trump's base doesn't come out uh, for these uh, for these candidates. Um, maybe there's a loss of faith in the institution there, or or it's uh, or, or maybe they come out in full force. Who knows? It's it's tough to, on one point, on one hand, argue that your base needs to turn out, while at the same time you're telling them that the system is flawed and irrevocably somebody it's going to be stolen from you. Mm -hmm. That's a, two very tough things to say at the same time. Yeah, I don't know. It's wild. Yes, they are. So yeah, I. Look, I'm not holding hopes uh, up that the Senate uh, is is moves into Democratic control. I just don't see that happening. However, so what do you see? You see a split. There could be. Uh, there could be. Uh, I I don't know if I'm if I'm ready to predict all of that. I think I'm just going. To, I'm cautiously 
well, I'm not really cautiously optimistic. I would just say I'm fairly pessimistic that it falls into democratic control. I guess that's inherently making it seem like it's negative, but um, I don't know. We'll see. But it certainly will sort of dictate what Joe Biden's able to uh, get done and also um, the way they go about the next four years, or at least two years, um, that how... Oh, yeah. You know how they have to how they have to rally the troops, given Democrat control or Republican gatekeeping in the Senate. Yeah, I mean, because two years is, uh, if I had about right now, not going to be good for um, the chances of Pelosi keeping the gavel. Yeah, it may not be. I know it's a lot of prediction, but we'll see. We will see. So, all right. Well, let's move on. Yourself is the first person to make it into uh, elected office. From debating an empty chair, that would be would be interesting. Well, It'll try. let's move on to the main topic here, and you know, I'll be honest with you. Uh, in full disclosure, this is not. We obviously leave this for uh, a a big chunk of of this podcast episode, but I think I'll be the first one to admit that I am. I am know enough to be dangerous with. Economic, economics and with with finance, corporate finance, um, mergers, acquisitions, etc. But <laughs> or in valuation, but you know I, the idea of discussing at length uh, national deficits and whether or not we should be concerned about them or we shouldn't be concerned about them. It's like holy shit! Now we're kind of cooking with a different uh, ingredient here, and and certainly. Uh, playing with the big boys if we're really talking about this meaningfully right not just talking points i mean it was was your call no no absolutely i'm not i'm not it's not like i want to run away from it or anything i I just hit pause let's just stop let's quit (laughs) that's it that's it delete the whole damn thing i i think i think i'm just being uh a bit honest up front that it's like listen i'm not uh I think I've always shied away from this particular topic because I, all I had was talking points. And I, I think now after spending more time in school and being around it a bit more, and obviously it's, it's, a lot of it's very theoretical, and I, I understand that it's an academic sort of uh, viewpoint and perspective. Well, it's easier now that it's more political. Sure. Sure. And that is, it is very political. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so there, this entire conversation we've had in the works for a while, and we talk about this a lot, but I think was um, the the wheels were greased by the intelligence squared um, Oxford style debate podcast, which if you don't, if you don't listen to it, you can certainly find it on YouTube, but if you don't listen to it, I I highly encourage it. Um, There's a lot of really intelligent people having really great debates uh, about I, I think the the biggest my biggest complaint about intelligence squared podcast is that the segments just don't last very long <laughs> you know i mean they're still an hour and it's a great debate but it's just i could yeah they feel like they could be four hours oh my gosh yeah for sure i mean if you care about that sort of thing like yeah. i don't know the fate of your country and whatnot <laughs> so um so at least have to plug it cool at least have to plug it that it is the intelligence squared podcast I believe it was episode what 185 187 187 so that's and it's uh should we be should we care about national debt or national deficits and 
So, which got me talking to you a bit more uh, about it. And ultimately, you called me out right off the bat and you said, well, I want to hear what you think. I want to hear what you th- you think. I didn't mean to call you out. I, I no, wanted no. to know your opinion. Yeah. And, and I guess it, it just was like, hey, I want to know where you, you land here. And I am so f- – I, I, there's the Bobby Kennedy – left-leaning side that says, hey, fuck deficits, um, let's drive on and, and, uh, and we can just uplift our entire nation because we're the world's currency and if, we keep, if we're the ones that print it, then fuck deficits because we could just print. So, that's ugly. And, and uh, I mean, that's a very bastardized version of, of uh, MMT, which is what, what MMT, you can say what that stands for. Um, modern monetary theory. theory. <clears throat> um, that's a bastardization of that theory, obviously, but it really does take into uh, like uh, the the account of of uh, the United States status in the world, and and it's sort of it's the economic pulse creator, if you will. Um, and then there's the other side of the house that says, okay, um, let's point to a number of these countries that we've seen in the past, like uh, Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, where they have imploded. They've been unable to pay their debts and look at the results. And Uh we don't, we don't, is it worth playing fire with the MMT uh, viewpoint? Like it is just theory. Um, Is it worth playing fire with that? Or could we actually just be conservative? We don't have to have austerity measures. But we should be worried about the deficit. Your words are hurtful. Aww. So, and that's where we stand. I say I don't really know, to be honest with you. I, I, I and, and I think when you start breaking it down, I think my heart sort of says, uh, my heart says, hey, um, we should be concerned about it. We sh- we should we should be concerned about it. We should at least um, have some visibility and understand uh, more about what we're spending on, etc. However. Uh, the other side says, um, hey, we just need to, um, we, at least in this period of time, and I think both of us agree that, and the Fed agrees, I think many economists agree that now is not the time to cut back spending, um, but it shouldn't be a pattern over and over of just excessive spending. And I, right. I that's, and the I was, yeah. would say, well, when in the, in the mind of the uh, greater American body, body politic is a good time to cut spending. I mean, which nobody really tends to win election based on, Hey, I want to cut all these programs. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, doesn't really sound that good to the voter, but, well, hopefully we can drill down a bit more because I, I know a lot of people probably haven't heard of MMT, which is the modern, obviously, modern monetary theory. And I think you can probably speak to it more than I can, given the fact that you have more of an economic background than I do. However, the idea is, and we even I even watched it in business school, right? So we had, um, it was really funny, the the beginning of my MBA and, and in a number like of the econ classes, the great recession was, was referenced over and over because it was really right. this crazy moment of time where 
the Fed actually did something. Um, I don't mean that facetiously, but like they, they, what they did propped the economy up and, and we'd had a pretty amazing recovery. Right. And there was also all of this information about what actually led to the great recession. And that was referenced, um, a lot in these classes in terms of what actually happened. And there was a really in-depth look at what happened during that financial crisis. And I think that especially for uh, econ classes is really important to understand. So, and then on the latter half of my, my MBA, we, now we had COVID and COVID just turned everything upside down in terms of, you know, we hadn't seen, there was no one alive as an economist, um, that had gone through something similar like the Spanish flu in 1918. Right. So we were watching all this weird shit happen around us and it, and it actually makes you pause and actually think like, well, okay, we've been through in the last 10 to 12 years, some pretty horrific shit. Um, you know, maybe there is something about this MMT or this modern monetary theory that says that we shouldn't be, approaching the federal um the federal deficit or you know debt assets and liabilities the way a household does or the way that um a company looks at free cash flow the federal government is none of those things and never will be any of those things and never should be like that and and that's why we can stop talking about it in that context that the 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 united states currency um we can print and um, really sort of like enshrined in the Constitution, isn't it? So, um, you know, and this goes down this rabbit hole that we began talking about in precast about, you know, obviously, okay, you, so you can predict the future, that nothing's going to happen to the United States to knock it off the pedestal. And we started going down this ge- geopolitical talk about, well, I don't know, if you can forecast the next 100 years at least, um, what do you see? And we we started to have a number of exclusions, right? So excluding nuclear war because mutually assured destruction negates using mad. <laughs> so, you know, we went down this rabbit hole. So again, I'm not I, like, I wish that I had framed this more of a debate where you and I could, I could say, you know, F you and your conservative approach to national deficits. I think we should just spend, 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 uplift the, the the lowest common denominator. I don't think it's that simple. And but and I think it's fairy tale too. But listening to professionals, listening to people that have dedicated their life to this kind of stuff, there's so much quantitative in uh, information and and knowledge and and uh, at least statistics. Oh, and again, they up. don't know. I mean, but how Not much do any of us know? It's called a social science for a reason. Okay, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost more of an art form because, as I said to you, precast, science, for the most part, you know with a certain input, this is the output you're going to get. Well, we don't really know. We don't know in this case. I mean, think about this. Back in, what was it, February of this year, you and I agreed on the assertion that short of an Atarian event, something like the fall, the collapse of Atari in 1984, which nobody thought humanly possible, short of a biblical type intervention, fate, Donald Trump, no matter who he faced on election day, was going to be reelected. 
You said so yourself, and I, for the mm-hmm. most part, was like, yeah, that's pro- probably what's going to happen. Well, then fast forward just to March 9th when I had surgery, you know, and, uh, on my arm again through the VA. And two days after that, 11 March of this year, again, it, it, it's unbelievable. This is all one year. Two days after that, well, the first confirmed case in New Orleans at the VA, and New Orleans became the Seattle of the South, basically. It was ground zero in the Gulf South, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. So we really don't know. And I'm not, I'm not saying that to discount the economists that we're talking. I mean, I'm just now wrapping up a bachelor's. I mean, hopefully it's, it's, it's going to be a, a journey, obviously. I'm, I'm not going to be able to go straight through, given my, my uh, occupations, et cetera. But at some point, sure, I would, I would love to receive a doctorate in economics. But in the meantime, it's, we operate, and you and I talked about this precast. There's a Latin phrase, ceteris paribus, all things being equal. We accept certain parameters for the in the vacuum of the classroom of, okay, this is what happens to to gross domestic product and government government spending, investment and consumption. This all these things together. Well, but behavioral economics is a whole really. It's not even emerging. It's a thing now of thinking more about what makes the everyday consumer and taxpayer tech. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the, the idea to me that was advocated in this podcast, I, I hate using the term arrogance because I don't think that the people proposing that the deficit doesn't matter so much. I, I didn't detect arrogance from them, but rather it's more of a presumption mm-hmm. that, well, if we're, if we're capable of printing our own currency, which... Obviously, we are, and it's not even so much printed. I mean, the majority of currency isn't even printed anymore. Mm-hmm. It exists in the ether. You know, it exists online. But any, any nation that's able to do so and pay its debts, pay its, its expenditures with its own currency doesn't really need to worry about the deficit. I mean, you, you, you got that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so I guess, I guess it comes down to it again. I, I don't mean this towards those individuals, but what it came down to me is, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the, the, the notes. From the beginning of it, the statement of, well, we've not been concerned. And this is, it struck me right away in the podcast that it was, well, we haven't been concerned about it the last four years, which I took to mean, okay, somebody's a Democrat. Um, but my response to that is just because we've not been concerned about the deficit is not a valid reason to not be concerned. Yeah. But don't you think so? So yeah, and we can parse those two things apart. The first being that I think it is a joke that, um, every time I think it's a, a bit of political hypocrisy that it seems like both sides are always concerned about the deficit when the other one is in power. Right. Um, and you can point to really crazy examples where um, you have where, where the people that espouse, let's say conservatives, naturally espouse this this desire for deficit control. Um, you know, their grandfather, the, the, the grandfather of, of modern uh, geopolitical or I mean, G, uh, GOP fiscal conservatism is Ronald Reagan, who did tax cuts in 
blew spending through the roof when interest rates were like at 11%. So, so it is, you know, I just want to be very clear about that in American politics for those, at least our international listeners who, um, yeah, there's every, each party's a deficit hawk when they're not in power. So, um, but I just, I want to be equally clear for those folks though. A, I've never espoused Reaganomics and B, I've harped on the deficit national debt since we started this podcast. You have that. So been, I might be a Nixon Republican. <laughs> you've been quote, very consistent with that. I, I cannot be fairly lumped into that groove. Yes, you're absolutely right. For that, I, I, I acknowledge that you have been very consistent in the national debt. So, um, so it's kind of like, where do you want to go with this really? And, let me let me read you a quote from the opening segment of one of the folks that was for the idea that the deficit doesn't matter, um, who said that any any country able to pay its debts in its own currency cannot become insolvent, cannot, not likely will not, or probably will not, cannot, which implies impossibility, uh, cannot become insolvent because there is no limit to the sums of money that it can create. Mm -hmm. Wow. So does that somehow um, insinuate... You're not the one paying $30 for a gallon of milk at the supermarket. Okay, but does that sort of insinuate the fact that... um, uh, Where's my thought on this? Um, Can pay its own debts, that it prints its own money, can pay its own debts, sort of... um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with it, but uh, okay. So, and I understand the impossibility piece of that, right? Okay. So, uh, it's it is a little arrogant to say that it's impossible that 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 would ever happen. And I acknowledge that's sort of a dumb comment, but um, I mean that's that's debate, right? But you know, I I understand also your point where it's like, okay, well, what then? What's the point of taxing? Um, if you can just print your own currency and I mean, why raise debts. revenue at all? And and I, I and you, I think you you bring up a good point. However, I would counter to say that I think taxation also kind of plays uh, this narrator of um, equitability within society. I was about to say the inverse of that is that it plays a punitive role in leftist politics. That's a way to eat the wretch sure you can you can say it's a leftist whatever but at, at the end of the day regardless of how low the tax rate is or how high the tax rate is if it's distributed equitably even between business to uh, personal income i think it, in a way sets sort of a tone within society um that that is is useful at least dare i say for control uh of of its people but um because I think without taxes, we say, well, without anything and get to this anarcho-capitalist society, I think that's just a fairyland that I'm not willing to entertain. I mean, most, most rational thinkers are, but I mean, that's, that's what strikes me here is, you know, the, the, the three concerns that were mentioned and immediately dismissed by the, the first speaker uh, or the, the camp that is for disregarding deficits was, well, Interest rates, inflation, and the exchange rate, that's, that's always what's brought up by deficit hawks and go, well, there's a real, there's a fourth reason for concern here. 
and as you alluded to earlier, it's it's the arrogance in my mind that's inherent to the assumption that the status quo will continue forever. And to our international listeners, as well as our domestic, because most people won't be bothered to care until they are paying $30 for a gallon of milk, and then it's going to be too late. But the, the U.S. dollar is the world's, quote, reserve currency. It's what other governments invest in, and, and thusly, by extension, that U.S. Treasury bonds are an investment of last resort, okay? Um, but right now, int- what, interest rates have been like 0.25 phenomenal rates? So that's so. I guess that's the interest rate, I think it's an interesting segue next, right? So it is, we're, I think there's a number of examples, again, that you can point to in terms of um, inflation, of Venezuela being one, Bolivia, Chile. And I think also the, the counter argument to that too is, well, okay, yeah, those were emerging markets, right? So if you, like I, I don't know if I brought it up, was a precaster, I'm bringing it up now, but an emerging market, even just to travel in, is, is a very different experience from uh, westernized countries. It just is. Um, I, right. I was there in South Africa um, uh, just a year ago, and it is a, even though it's, I mean, it's a, it's a lovely place. I'm, I don't want to make it sound like I'm shitting on South Africa, but it is an emerging market, and there is a different way to do business. There's, there's the equitability there is wildly different. And those countries are just inherently a bit less stable than a place like the United States or Europe. So I guess it's a little disingenuous or it's almost like an apples to oranges comparison in terms of the stability um, and the dangers. I mean, look at, look at the last 10, look at even now um, interest rates and the, the way they've uh, the way they've reacted, the way the feds have controlled them. I mean, are are we learning more about interest rates than we thought? Are we learning more about um, unemployment growth and what that interest rate number is? I'm sure there's a lot of oh, yeah. e- economic theory that you can point to in terms of interest rates and, and sort of. No, obviously we're learning more. Yeah. Again, going back to Ceteris Paribus, all things being equal. Well, all things aren't equal outside of the vacuum of the classroom. And, and I, I totally grasp that. What I, what I was kind of stabbing at with regards to the interest rate is it's real easy for now because our own it's kind of convenient. We've got our own central bank determining the interest rates, not just on household mortgages, folks, but also the interest that we pay on our own national debt. So that's it's the game's kind of we've got it kind of the, the market cornered as far as oh well we can just endlessly borrow money and have our own central bank keep rates. But you and I both know, anybody that has ever paid attention to the market knows we cannot, that's a cannot, we cannot keep interest rates at less than a half percentage point forever, okay? Doesn't work that way. At some point, the rates are going to have to go up, and at some point in the next two to three years tops, we're going to be paying over a trillion dollars a year, probably a quarter of our budget. As a country, think about that. A country that spends before this year was spending over $4 trillion a year. Over a trillion dollars of that in the next two to three years tops is going to be on interest, not the principal. So I, this, hey, I, it's a very, I'll get, I will give MMT thinkers this, the modern monetary theorists, I, I admire their optimism. Okay, that the good times are just going to roll forever. I, I, I'll give them that. 
So what what about the <clears throat> the idea with MMT that that spending really builds up a nation in a way that um begets consumption and consumables, which is a huge part of the GDP and, and well, contributes contributes to growth. Like I guess, you know, you, you can do this. That. You... I just don't think I, I think that both of those truths can can coexist. I think we can not have forever low interest rates or near zero interest rates and we can be fiscally responsible while at the same time yes i recognize that we need to that government investment is important i mean we've long overdue for an infrastructure overhaul what is it half of our bridges are now at the very least near impassable mm. nearing the danger zone so that's a way we could reinvest in the in the economy, local governments, state governments, and hire people. I grasp that. I just I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, I think we can be fiscally sane mm -hmm. and invest in the the lower fiscal echelons of of our society. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think. The, probably ultimately is is what drives mmt um obviously i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sit here and, and begin to talk about the quantitative discussion behind it but we're gonna be out of least, time yeah this, this at, is 10 episodes yeah at least at least from um sort of the social impact of it right the idea that um there's a lot of investment and there's a lot of spending that we can do not necessarily even from just like reoccurring program like lifelong uh benefit entitlement programs but just a lot of even one-time investments that help wind up um, boosting the the lowest uh, uh, socioeconomic status in the United States, right? So, um, I think in that case, there's maybe it's it's a it's a very valiant sort of theory and and mindset to to hold on to. And I think they're like it, again, it's funny we disagree on so many things, um, and I don't mean that in like in a bad way at all. I mean, shit, this is. Um, we're, we're approaching 250 times we've had encounters like this and um, in a recorded aspect that, but I think it, we ultimately all sort of want the same thing. And it's interesting how the different theories sort of wind up that bring us all to this point where we all have great opportunity. We're all very successful. We're all very happy and we have foundationally a great country, right? And every single one of these theories has uh, a different, uh, even if it's, you know, economic theory with MMT and and maybe the more traditional conservative Keynesian uh, approaches to econ, like all of the theories bring us to the same point. And it's just really wild. It's like, well, which one do we pick and which one do we go with? Um, which one has the most risk? Which one has the most, you know, so it's. It, well, people don't, people don't want to hear that though, Nate, that the, the truth is, and Representative Ocasio-Cortez compelled off microphone she's got a bachelor's in economics from boston college she could tell you the same thing the truth is there's a very big difference in what is profitable to the individual and or the nation at large and what is equitable equitable refers far more to fairness well the truth is there is no pathway no rational pathway to an economy where we all make 75 grand a year or whatever, pick another number, and people are able to pursue, because that's the thing. 
you know this, you, you've studied finance and economics as well. The whole concept is based off of scarcity. There's unlimited wants. I think all you need to do, you don't even have to look at the world, look at America, and our international listeners will, I'm sure, nod and laugh along. Unlimited wants with limited means to fulfill those. Okay, so because of those unlimited wants, there is no society that is purely equitable. It's not going to happen. And so that's people don't want to hear that. But there's no reinvestment that we can make. There's no spending plan that we can come up with that not only, at least even remotely, attempts to balance the budget. And let's say, let's say the the far left got their wish list, and the DoD was chopped down to. <laughs> You act like that. Where it is. You act like that's a left desire. That's also a libertarian desire, my friend, as well, which is quite a few people out there. Okay, the song remains the same. Let's say the the hardcore libertarians and the left got their wish, and it's let's say the the defense budget is a tenth or five percent of what it is today. There's no way. This is a cannot. It is not possible. There's no essay you can write, no white paper you can send me, where that money is going to be perfectly reinvested through the federal government that will equitably, perfectly, fairly redistribute all that so that 10 years from now, we're not bitching about the same disparities. They might be, I mean, they won't be the exact same. It will be different groups of people. But look, look at the, uh, look at the states that did. Maoism, Stalinism. Look at the two main states, Russia and China, that did embrace Marxist theory. Well, what they really did was they just limited the amount of people that were in the top 1%. Instead of today, all, you know, whatever the number is of millionaires and billionaires, and instead of 435 or whatever the number is total in Congress of individuals in power, well, it was down to five. There were only 80 people with that kind of money. So the song remained the same. I mean, that you can resent that all you like, but no, there's I, there's I no answer it. here that's going to make everybody happy and that's going to fulfill everybody's needs and and make this a perfectly equitable society. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. I'm sure that's very negative. <laughs> no, I think. Honestly, I think it's uh, I think it's a, I think it's realistic with what you're saying. Um, I'm certainly not uh, super well versed in it. I just you don't have to have a doctorate in economics. I don't. No, I know. Saying you don't, you don't have to have a, a doctorate in this to understand. Look, there's no bill, just like I've maintained before. There's no resolution coming on the House floor that the president's going to sign into law. All this educational and hate and racism. Well, good luck. Hate's going to exist forever. Yeah. Well, there's no bill that's coming onto the House floor that any president is going to sign a law that, well, everybody's going to make this this same amount. We're all going to sing Kumbaya because guess what? The hypocrites sponsoring those bills and signing them into law, they're not going to make as much as you do or as little as you do. I hearken back to... Edwin Edwards, who was governor of Louisiana, at least he, you know, the the populist Democrat that he was, he had the guts, to be honest, when he was asked by uh, someone in the media, 
in South Louisiana. He said, well, you know, you're, are you talking about Senate, you making sure your kids and grandkids go to these, quote, great Louisiana public schools? And he, without missing a beat, goes, well, so my kids can end up like yours? Hmm. I mean, that's the real truth of the matter. Their little darlings in Congress are going to be going to Georgetown Prep. Okay? They're not going to go to the schools that they espouse for everybody else's kids to go to. We have royalty in this country, whether we like it or not. So that's why it's a little tough to take when I hear all this. Oh, what's things need to be equitable. Really? For who? Nancy Pelosi and the $40,000 bar on her jet? Okay. I have nothing more to add. Nope. No, you don't. And we're going to leave it there because once again, and you've been on a roll, my friend. I don't know what it is. The last like 10 episodes, every other episode you have your, I, what I want to call the five minute, you know, hey. when we get the, when we get the, the Patreon up and that's kind of a teaser for those people who make it through the 49th minute of the episode, um, bonus material. I'm going to, we're going to make sure that we capture these, these rants. So. Okay. I picked on Nancy Pelosi there, but let me, let me put it to you this way. John Boehner is doing just fine for himself on K Street. Oh yeah, with that that marijuana, he he sees the he sees the numbers. Oh yeah, he he didn't like green while he was in office, but he likes uh, the green currency and the 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 green currency generated by the green mm. bot mm. now that he's out. Mm. 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 So I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to pick on the no, Democrats no, there. Right. So <clears throat> well. Hey, look, my friend, it's getting late where you're at. It's getting late where I'm at. I've got to be up early in the morning, which is, is always great. But, hey, look, it's an honor and a privilege to do this with you week in and week out. And, uh, you know. Um, you're tired of me for tonight. I'm, I am. We've hit our 50-minute mark. That's as much as Nate can talk for. Um, but, look, uh, it's it's also an honor to get comments um, on our podcast wherever we can we can read those comments and always send over your uh, comments, concerns, opinions to ModState at ModState.com, which is Thank MRD. you all. I hope you don't think yeah. I'm, I'm too big of a jerk, folks. I really mean well, and I really want the best for people. I just don't have faith in our politicians to deliver that. Which is okay. Which is okay. That's fine. So, Well, as always, my friend, um, until next time. Au revoir.